Friday edition. Hot Mike with Hunter Withrow across the Outkick Network. Outkick.com slash watch is where you can catch all of the live content exclusively on Outkick. Outkick.com slash watch. You just go to Outkick.com, click the watch tab, and you can catch all of the live content and on-demand content there. On-demand and clips and more over at our YouTube channel. Just search out Outkick. Chad, fast-paced show. We've got David Cohn coming up, former Michigan quarterback and uh, training company host. Yeah, it's going to be fun. And if you want to see all full episodes of our show, uh, go to that watch tab. Go to the show, Hot Mike. You can see full episodes there. And we are still on YouTube with a 45-minute version of the show every day. Um, How to get that house, housekeeping there you go. out of the way. There you go. Um, so let's update the housekeeping from the coaching update here. So yesterday, big discussion was Saban and Belichick. They're out in New England, out in, in Tuscaloosa. And a day later, we have the coaches for both Alabama and New England. Kalen DeBoer is the next head coach of the Crimson Tide. 26th head coach, I believe, in program history. Chad, is leaving Washington after uh, a search that felt much longer because it was always top of mind and you wanted to know how big of a swing Alabama was going. I, they, they end up getting the coach... Coach of the year, and a, a a straight ball coach as well. A guy that's worked his way up from the Division two ranks, and is coming off of a thirteen and one season with the Huskies, and previous to the loss in the national championship game, they had won twenty one straight games. It goes from coaching Michael Penix Jr. to now Jalen Milrow, and a talented offense that returns quite a few players on both sides of the ball. Yeah, I, I think uh, a good hire, solid hire for Alabama, and uh, he's going to inherit a lot of talent there. And he's leaving behind that talent, a lot of it moving on to the NFL uh, that he had at Washington. A guy who's just won at every level that he's ever been a part of and uh, has never coached in the South, has never recruited in the SEC or any of that. So to me, that's really the only question is culturally, is it going to be a fit at Alabama? How does he handle the fishbowl? How does he handle recruiting? But you're at Alabama, and Alabama to an extent can recruit itself but you were always going to be recruiting against the big boys. He was not a great recruiter or known as that at Washington, but he got Washington to the national championship game, even not being a great recruiter. So does a little bit more with less at times. Tough to do that, though, in the SEC. you got to get players at least on the level of the top teams in that conference if you're going to have any shot at great things within that conference. He's going to need to be able to do that if he's going to have – the success that Alabama fans expect him to have every single season. And let's let's also say from the recruiting perspective, you know, if you've got NIL rules and laws in place and state to state, right? It's helping Missouri. But it's also evened it up some where even if you end up with two or three four stars or a five star, it's one less that would have gone to Georgia or Alabama. What does that now do if Kalen DeBoer isn't getting that same type of recruiting success. He'll, have, he'll be successful. It's Alabama. But at what level? And does it help the other teams right beneath the Bama shelf level up one? You know, does it give you one more at Ole Miss or at Auburn with Hugh Freeze, at Missouri, at Tennessee? Does it give you one or two more recruits that otherwise would have gone to Alabama and maybe, you know, didn't go to Georgia because of the Crimson Tide and the playing ability there early on. Yeah, I think the ultimate fear is that and this is, the, to me, the absolute floor would be that it's a Brian Harson situation at Auburn. That it's just not, it's a misfit situation from the beginning. First test now, we're going to see it right away for Kalen DeBoer. Keep this roster together. Yep. Keep this recruiting class together because guys can transfer whenever they want now. So every team in the SEC that has ever had communication with these players, they're going to be like sharks smelling blood in the water. They're coming for your roster. So be ready for that. How well does he retain this team, keep them together, hold together this recruiting class coming in? We heard today that Isaiah Bond, right around the same time this was being announced, he's in the transfer portal. He was the leading receiver for Alabama this past season. How well can he keep this team together that is recruiting challenge number one for Kalen DeBoer. We'll find out in the next few months yep. how he does that, that well, part of it. And now the recruiting angles from Washington's perspective. There's a 30-day portal that's opened up for them as well. And this affects them too. Yeah. Uh, you, you had the, the great 
point of just elevating from within. Yeah, Ryan Grubb, the offensive coordinator, is a guy I'd give the job to if I'm Washington. And I'm, I'm intrigued to see, you know, if there's a player who wants to go with his coach or stay with his coach, like Grubb stayed with his program. And how many of the assistant coaches for Saban does Kalen DeBoer retain? Uh, that's going to be a big key in this, right? Yes, you yep. got Tommy Reese, who was going to get interviewed for the job, according to some reports. There were three names last night floated. It got down to Mike Norvell, Kalen DeBoer, or Tommy Reese. Does he retain Tommy Reese on staff? Does he go in a different direction there? D.C. was already open. How many of those guys stay that have relationships yeah. with the current roster or in recruiting that you can keep on, on staff? So that's going to be a big part of, of this decision also. How many guys do you bring over from Seattle, uh, from Washington, and how many guys do you retain on that Alabama staff? Bunch of big questions still yet to be answered, but we're going to find out in the next two or three months. Uh, the Patriots elevate from within. Gerard Mayo the next head coach of the New England Patriots, succeeding Bill Belichick after 26 seasons and the Super Bowls that were won there. Gerard Mayo, who was a part of a lot of success and has been a part of a lot of success, um, who played and has now coached under Belichick, is the next head coach and was the heir apparent. Whenever he decided to come back to New England, Robert Kraft gave him a contract that put the stipulation in where he would be elevated. The plan, though, was that Mayo would be the coach after the 2024 season. But winning four games expedited this entire process. A lot of smoke with Mike Vrabel being mentioned out of Boston all season. And with Vrabel getting fired and being able to immediately uh, jump into the mix with New England, they go with Mayo based on the contract. But also, I mean, it's not like Kraft couldn't have paid the stipulation uh, or, or a clause to go somewhere else and go with a different hire. But what they wanted was the continuity and the leadership qualities of Mayo. One of the, the players described him as bottom-line business approach, but a player's coach. And he, is, he was referred to when he played from his teammates as Bill Jr. Because of his the intelligence factor, but also the grind. He was at the facility as much as Belichick was, according to his teammates, Bill Jr., uh, made, for, made for coaching. Chad, this is, uh, this is intriguing because no one was really mentioning Mayo this season. But he mm -hmm. came back, he interviewed with Philadelphia when Sirianni was hired. He interviewed with Denver and then just took his name out of the running from a couple of other spots where he was being mentioned, had the opportunity to interview, but did not. And... For a plan that was supposed to take place after next season, it now takes place this season with the Patriots holding a very uh, what, number three overall pick and quarterback needy, offensive tackle needy, plenty of other spots, wide receiver, and it's going to be Mayo that tries to keep that success for a franchise that's worth $7 billion. And funny enough, all the mentions for the Patriots was Mike Vrabel yep. throughout the year after he was honored at a game that that was going to be his landing spot, that was going to be his job. And then when Mike Vrabel got fired and the Titans job came open, the first report out was, look for Gerard Mayo to be a potential landing spot will be Nashville for him with the Titans gig. Instead, all along, they had it worked out contractually that he was the coach in waiting. He gets elevated. He's now the head coach in New England. Drafted in 2008, played eight years in the league, got out of football for a short time, worked in healthcare, and then was lured back by Bill Belichick, has been... Uh, outside of being a Tennessee Vol, he's been a New England Patriot uh, throughout his life, and now he gets the opportunity to be the head coach and to take over for a legend in Bill Belichick. Makes a ton of sense, Hutton. That's the first thing I thought when I saw all this. I'm thinking, yeah, that's, why not? If you're Robert Kraft and you like the way that organization runs and the way things have been conducted over the years with Belichick, then you go with a guy who's most like Belichick and knows the Patriot way better than anyone else. But... Also, to further your point, the Patriot way included Tom Brady and a great quarterback. And that is what they need more than anything else right now is to identify and bring in a quarterback, whether that be free agency, trade, or draft. That is objective number one for Gerard Mayo if he's going to have success. I haven't seen any updates on uh, assistant coaches. I would look and put Arthur Smith as a part of that, as a possibility in New England, uh, pair with Gerard Mayo. He could also pair up with Mike Vrabel. Uh, but the succession plan is not unprecedented. We saw this from the general manager perspective, Ozzie Newsom, who then transitioned to Eric DaCosta. This was in 2019 in Baltimore. Uh, it took place at head coach 
like this with Tony Dungy and Jim Caldwell. Also took place with Mike Holmgren and Jim Mora, which was well over a decade ago. What, 15 years ago now, probably. Probably around the time that Mayo entered the league. Yeah. Uh, owners have done this in the past. Uh, Caldwell had success following Dungy. I uh, was fired after a nine-win season, if I recall. It may have been 10. Uh, successful, and then he was on the outs. Mayo, though, uh, Robert Kraft knows, he, he always has the vision of where they're going, where they're going to be, where they need to be. And he said in the statement yesterday uh, at the podium, hey, it's, we didn't want to do this, but we need to do this based on the success that we need to have down the future. We're going to expedite this one year early. And here they are. And they're, you're right about Brady, man. Uh, I'm looking around. The Titans are in this boat. There's a lot of teams in this boat. You're in the AFC where you're, you, you are competing against Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, uh, Joe Burrow. You could keep listing them. Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert with a new head coach coming. You've got to be a part of that class. The Patriots are well away from that. I don't know if that guy's in this draft, but they've got to get that right. And if, if he's not in the draft, don't make the pick. Don't rush into the pick. Trade back, get offensive tackle. Again, both of their tackles, I believe, are free agents too. This is going yeah. to be a rebuild, and it's not a quick fix. And if it's not a rebuild, it is a heavy retool in New England, including head and coach. On the flip side, if you identify that guy in the draft and you think they got a chance of going yep. with the top yep. – Trade up with Chicago if they're if they're set with Justin Fields. Get up to wherever you need to get to get that guy and draft that guy if you feel like that player is in this draft. I'm not sure that he is. We have not heard uh, much from the the Mike Vrabel or Jim Harbaugh side of things. We a lot, a lot of teams are are requesting interviews with coordinators, assistant coaches, and more. Some of that can be done early on on the Zoom aspect of things virtually. Um, Reports are, you know, after the news came out of was Mayo, Vrabel, there was a, a report, I believe, The Athletic, saying that he could decide to just sit out a year and survey things. I, maybe that's the case. What I do know is Mike Vrabel loves coaching football. Loves it. Like, does it. Wanted to stay if certain structures were in place in Nashville to stay with the Titans, knowing that next year he's on the hot seat for a team that's not going to be that good. And... It's because he wants to coach. I don't think he sits out of coaching. And if he does, I think it's because the right job or the right owner isn't there to pair with him and his overall philosophy. The contract had something to do with Mayo. The, the individual also had something to do with why Robert Kraft hired Gerard Mayo. Vrabel, though, fits a handful of, of franchises to me. I would look for Las Vegas. mentioned this yesterday. The Raiders just... It just feels like a Vrabel franchise, and it's got Tom Brady coming along as a minority owner uh, with buying in at a, a minority stake in the team. It's, it hasn't been approved yet. It's, the key word is yet. Brady's going to be part owner of the Las Vegas Raiders at some point. Uh, I would also mention Harbaugh for this gig because if you want to make the connection between Brady and, Har and, and, and Vrabel, you have to make it with Harbaugh because Harbaugh just, just signed with Don Yee, which is also Brady's agent. So you, you can make that connection too. Harbaugh and Vrabel there. Uh, I mentioned Washington. They've hired their, their general manager today. Uh, so the GM now is a part of the coaching search. I really like what Josh Harris is doing. Uh, but I think a wild card, and one we haven't heard in a couple of weeks, but it's flipped a bit. I keep hearing beneath the surface chatter about Mike Tomlin may take a year off and go to TV. He may, he, because of just the the... the the, the noise, lack the of connection behind. I think the lap, just a, there's something off with Pittsburgh. That's how it was described to me. Yeah, maybe he doesn't. Maybe they go on a, Maybe they go to Buffalo and they win. And there's some, there's something there. I I keep hearing that Tomlin could take a year off, and that is a Mike Vrabel job. That is a home run, big swing, perfect fit for the Pittsburgh Steelers, who have not missed on their coaching hires. Period, including Tomlin, but. We see things, things play out to where you eventually need something as a refresher. You need change in some way. Tomlin's been there a long time. It doesn't feel like Cowher retired that long ago. He's been there a while. And maybe he's just tired of the grind, like you put it. 
maybe there's something going on where it's just frustrating, uh, where you're hearing talk that he could be on the hot seat, where dude's never had a losing season as the head coach of the Steelers. He didn't this year either, after what was a bleak going through uh, Kenny Pickett and company in the month of November. I, Chad, I, I, I just say keep this on the, the back burner. Just keep it in mind that that could be something that could pop up next week if Pittsburgh's out of the postseason playoffs. And that, again, maybe there's a job that isn't open yet that Vrabel ends up with. Dallas, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh. But the, t- the, the franchise that drafted him also has that same mentality and quality that Vrabel possesses. Extremely competitive, extremely consistent, uh, and tough, hardcore, blunt, and they win. And it's hard to find a, a job or a position or a or a, a, a stage in Vrabel's life where he hasn't won. Yeah. So the game of matchmakers constantly fluid as we do this. What do you think about this, Hutton? Yeah. Belichick to Atlanta, Vrabel to Washington, Pierce stays with the Raiders. Okay. They end up hiring him. Jim Harbaugh to the Chargers. Why? The, Charger, the Chargers have to go through the interview process. I get it. Yeah. But to me, that makes a ton of sense. Spanos and wants then, to go big. And uh, Seattle, which I think is a good spot for someone. Yeah, uh, that's Titans, another one. Pan- Panthers are the one that a distant last. I think everyone would agree, given the ownership situation yeah. with Tepper. So a lot of intrigue. Chad, let's uh, the dumpster fire of the week, shall we? Let's do it. We welcome in Davey Hudson as well as we hit the the worst of the week. I'm sticking with uh, what Alabama, and to me, I thought it was so abrupt with uh, Saban's retirement. I think it caught them off guard. It definitely did with the players. I think it did with Byrne as well, Greg Byrne, their AD, because it is it's still surprising to me that. Even though it was a quick search, we could name a handful of coaches that stayed where they were instead of going to the University of Alabama. The biggest surprise, if indeed they put Norvell ahead of DeBoer, and maybe they didn't. Maybe Florida State jumped in and made sure their coach wasn't going anywhere. But with a $4 million buyout, they had to jump in to do something. Norvell's staying. He gets a massive payday. $10 million plus, eight-year extension. And that should be the type of money that you're leaving Florida State for right now for Alabama. And given everything in the background of that, if, if in fact he, he chose to stay at Florida State instead of take the gig in Tuscaloosa, wow. That's all I can say. And here's the other thing. The coming back down to earth a bit for the program, regardless of who they were going to end up with. Dumpster fire from the mentality of Saban and to, to whoever, whoever you want to point to. There is a, a sadness, there's a mourning, there's a, you know, everyone's given the eulogy of Saban, and all he did was abruptly retire at the age of 72, and the statue looks like he passed away at the age of 72 uh, on campus. This, 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 is a, this, this is appreciation, this is also total, total sadness, because they don't know who they're going to end up with at the time. They end up with DeBoer, who all of a sudden, we're mentioning Brian Harson again in the state of Alabama. I, radio was crazy. I, in, I in really Tuscaloosa do. And Birmingham. Bama fans will be pissed off about this, but I don't care. Right. I really do think that Alabama is the only place where people would show up to a statue and treat it like a memorial, like someone died. No, with uh, flowers and everything else when they retire. Uh, did they do that for Joe Pa? Uh, probably, but uh, yeah, because he I, came I guess. out on this porch and talked to the crowd. Yeah. Yeah. He had some defenders, that was for sure. Yeah. I'm trying to think. Okay. Uh, but you're right, Chad. I mean, but that was more many. of like a, it's us against the administration, we want to keep them type fight that was going down. This was treated like an actual memorial for someone that's completely healthy and alive. So o- only in Tuscaloosa. It was jarring. The news was jarring. Only It, it definitely was. Dr. Fire for the fan and me. It was, a, uh, it, it was a jarring day on our show when we got the news, too. So they, they, I, it's one I'll always remember. They weren't able to have a coaching search in the social media era until now. That's which true. Is hard for just to imagine yeah, a pretty crazy. coaching program. I'm, I'm thinking, I guess, uh, Iowa and Utah are the other two like Power 5 programs that haven't had to deal with that. Did Twitter start in 2007? 
at some point after the maybe the very beginning. It might have started a little bit beforehand, but I, I don't remember yeah. that taking look, off to like 2009. Look at uh, Big John 865 on, on X with this post uh, after the news that Saban was retiring. I wish Harvey Updike was alive, so this could kill him again. <laughs> wow. Um, that's, 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 that's Alabama for That's, that's what you get in the, uh, in, in the Southeastern <laughs> Football Conference, man. It's, Almost as good as the one about the Brick Patino that we're not going to show because <laughs> even better. Uh, the, another great one I saw was uh, when Bill Belichick retired or was you know, let go the next day, not retired, uh, that someone said, Bill Belichick showing up at Nick Saban's lake house in a couple months, and it was the final scene from Shawshank Redemption with uh, Andy Dufresne waiting on Morgan Freeman at the beach and Sewatineo. In the end of the movie, I love that one also. I did not love Joe Coy at the Golden Globes. Didn't really know much about Joe Coy going in. He's a stand-up comic. Uh, seems like he's got a good following. He's selling out venues and, and doing all this. I thought it was really bad. I thought his jokes landed flat. But here's the dumpster fire in all of this, okay? Yep. Comedian takes a job, goes out, does the job. Bombs, for the most part. Does not do well. Admits it's disappointing. I gotta, I gotta sort through it. It's disappointing. I, I really wanted to do a good job and didn't do a very good job. He, he acknowledges it, right? But the dumpster fire is the fact that people are actually offended again. Like you don't. And Joe Coy feeds into this by trying to explain himself. It's a damn joke. If you're gonna joke about Taylor Swift and Taylor Swift is gonna give you the evil eye and sip her wine because you dare to mention that the NFL and games cuts to her and shows her in the suite during the games, and we're going to do that less during this broadcast. That's not even remotely offensive. To Taylor Swift, to the NFL, to the Golden Globes, to any network, to any human alive. That should not offend anyone. So don't explain it. I don't care if Taylor Swift is mad. Taylor Swift needs to have a sense of humor if that's really going to make her upset. And also, if you're going to joke about Oppenheimer and say, hey, we've got two movies that made a lot of money one is based on a Pulitzer Prize winning book, and the other one is based on a plastic doll with big boobies, and that's going to offend someone also. It's the truth. It's not a great joke either, but it's the truth. Greta Gerwig, who directed Barbie, even had to come out and say, some of the backlash to Joe Coy is a little ridiculous. He's just a comedian trying to make jokes. Of course he is. Once again, the over-the-top reaction to comedy Comedy people is a dumpster fire of the week, and it's mine. Yeah. Uh, SNL weekend update. Uh, Michael Che was saying you're just going to start seeing a lot of comedians just stop taking these gigs for doing award shows. You, you look at it. Especially and last minute. Yeah. It's, it's and I get things. that it's a hard, hard job. You know, everyone who's done it. I saw Steve Martin come to his defense, Davey, and say, I still have cold sweats thinking about when I hosted the Oscars in 2010. I think it was the last time he's done any of that. Uh, that it's a really difficult job. So I think you're right. People will stop doing it. And it's sad because, again, comedy is something that should be bringing people together, you know. Or just having to do a, a monologue, laugh. right? Like, but it has worked for Joe Coy. I heard his name for the first time. Yeah, that's true yeah. because he did so bad. But, I mean, at some point, people are just going to go up there and say, all right, now we bring out the presenters for our first award and just do no comedy. No jokes about anyone. Roll right into it. Get to the awards. That's what the celebrities in the room yeah. want. They don't want any threat well, of being joked about. So also, let's just like, get to my award Taylor category. Swift, if you don't want the camera to cut to you, stop going to the suite. Sit somewhere else. Well, and stop going to the Golden Globes then. Sit somewhere if else. You're, if you're afraid of being a, a joke being made about yeah. you. Give me a break. Guys, for my dumpster fire this week, it's something we actually had happen back at the very beginning of football season. If you remember all the way back to the first game, Florida was playing Utah for, um, yeah. gosh, that would have been, I think, the very end of August. Yep. You know, Right before that game was supposed to kick off, DirecTV had a dispute with Tegna, and you were not able to stream that game. And now, that's still an issue, and Cleveland Browns fans in Cleveland are likely, if they have DirecTV, are not going to be able to watch their team play on this weekend. It's one of those things, too, where it's like, if you're Cleveland, that's, that's a pretty big thing. Like, a, a, having an opportunity to win a playoff game is kind of like a solar eclipse. It doesn't happen very often, so I feel bad for those fans. And I would just love to see this Tegna dispute come to an end. You look at it with just blackouts in general. It's dumb that this continues to happen in today's TV options for your viewing. It's, it's pathetic, and I just wish it would come it's to awful. an end. So dumb. But it takes the NFL to actually bring attention to this. It took Monday Night Football. It took the Jets to get this done in New York in week one. So, and then all of a sudden, before the game, miraculous, it was available. 
No blackouts. I just looked down on the uh, platform formerly known as Twitter, X, and I just saw someone with just an Alabama Crimson Tide logo yeah. as their avatar. <laughs> just, just pretty funny. Just all I look down and see is fourth choice my ass. Because <laughs> <laughs> I've been saying that it was their fourth choice, Kalen DeBoer. Sixth. Alabama fans not not happy. <laughs> Coming up, I'm uh, that same Alabama fan. I bet I could go back and find and scroll down what they were saying, and they believe they were getting Dan Lanning. I bet the same person believed that that he was the choice, like people were reporting. And now it's oh no no no, Kalen DeBoer all along. That's yeah. They went right Only in there and got everybody offer. else. Everything just a smokescreen, guys. Greg Byrne, this is smoke his target. Smokescreen out there. They never wanted Dan Lanning. Never wanted to talk to Sark or anyone else. Smokescreen, guys. It was DeBoer all along. Sure, sure. Coming up, David Cohn will join us, and uh, we'll talk to the former Michigan quarterback about the Michigan Wolverines, the entire saga that was the 2023 National Championship winning season. Uh, Co-host of Credit Company next on Hot Mike. Hot Mike with Huddy Withrow rolls on across the Outkick Network, streaming live at Outkick.com. Chad, we mentioned Alabama fans. They're sad, maybe grateful, but definitely sad. They're in mourning with Nick Saban retiring. Definitely definitely sad after a loss to Michigan. Now in mourning because Saban is retired. And now Michigan fans rejoicing. Yes. It's a celebration for Michigan fans. David Cohn joins us, Crane & Company, uh, Michigan Wolverine himself. David, thanks for the time, man. How are you? I'm doing quite well. Thank you, boys, for having me. Um, More likely to receive a statue if the fan base were voting right now. If you walk into a bar with either of these guys, J.J. McCarthy or Connor Stallions, (laughs) who who is more regarded as hero? I saw a tweet this week that said, Connor Stallions will not pay for another drink in Ann Arbor for the rest of his life. Uh, the answer is still going to be J.J. McCarthy. I think he's going to go down. going to be J.J. McCarthy. I think he's going to go down as the greatest quarterback in Michigan history, which is quite a statement, man. I got to play with Chad Henney. I got to play with Denard Robinson. Uh, certainly, we've had some of the best. And, you know, uh, Tom Brady did a, a pretty good job while he was there as well. But J.J. McCarthy will go down as the greatest. I don't know if he'll get a statue. But, man, this Connor Stallions thing. It just uh, it, it just exploded and became the story in college football, which I really don't understand. We used to scout our opponents a week early in peewee football and ask our parents if we could stay and watch them. But man, when people catch on to a narrative, it just doesn't die. I don't think either of those guys will ever pay for a meal or for a drink. And if, if I had my druthers, I'd say they both get a statue. And that is the definition of college football in a fan base, Jeff. Well, and that's the definition of fan. I mean, does Connor Stallions go down as the, the most hardcore fan of any one school in the history that the guy wrote basically a manifesto about how he was <laughs> going to perfect Michigan football, right? And then he went Without about doing it. Without a doubt. He went a step further. This guy was a diehard fan who essentially, look, I haven't talked to the guy, but from what I hear, he joined the military so he could get better at covert ops. Why? To, to protect his country? No. So he could help Michigan football. <laughs> we should all care so much. It was the most SEC thing I've ever seen the University of Michigan do. And guess what? They go undefeated and they win a championship that year. So there must be something to it. I'm not sure any other program can do this, though. Uh, everyone in the Big Ten, the NCAA, they're trying to get someone to roll on Jim Harbaugh and the fact he knew what Connor Stallions was up to. No one has done it. Everyone that's been investigating this has to admit that they cannot prove or they, they, they can't also just say he didn't know either, which tells us that no one's giving them any intel whatsoever, including Stallions, but literally anyone, past, present, those that have been turned down for jobs for the future. That's what's bizarre to me is not one person has rolled over Harbaugh, even if it was just something that has to do with a a, a rival. No one's talking. 
Yeah, and look, I completely understand that that the the guy who is in charge is ultimately responsible for what other people do. I, I can get behind that certainly. If, if if you had an analyst or an assistant who broke a rule uh, for competitive advantage, and you know you can't just behind you can't hide behind the fact that you didn't know anything. You can't just hide behind the fact that oh we're doing something that everyone else is doing. That's not what my problems with this were the whole year. My problem is what is the violation, and if there is one, why hasn't the NC NCAA issued an official notice of wrongdoing. Why are they leaking stuff to ESPN, who has a vested financial interest with every other conference? There's clearly people clearly want Jim Harbaugh out of college football, and I don't understand it. I can understand why you hate the guy and you don't want to see him win, or you don't like Michigan. But stop trying to run the best coaches and 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 the most charismatic coaches in college football out of the game. That I don't understand. Now on advanced scouting and and signs and all of that. I played way too much football, and even more than that, quite frankly, I sent in a whole lot of signals when I was at Michigan. I sent in more signals than I was throwing passes, for sure. I sent in too many signals to to understand. Like, I just laughed at this when it came out. Even when I was playing 15 years ago, we had four guys, one sends the signals, three send dummy signals. It was a given that everyone is going to try and dissect what you're doing and what you're showing on a football field. If the if the rest of the conference up there doesn't understand that, then I really can't help them, guys. How often would you change them, the signals? We would change them frequently. Look, we installed new plays every week. So when a new play went in or a new passing concept, it would have a new signal. Now, for the old signals that were installed, you know, we would change them every year for sure. But yeah. if we thought someone had a beat on them, and here's another thing we would do. This is for the plays where you have to signal the entire play. Mostly what we would do is we say, hey, A2. And you look on the wristband, Chad Henney looks down, Speed Break Detroit, right side, 300 box, Y stick H through a 54X slush. You read it off in a huddle. You don't have to signal the whole thing. And so no one knows what A2 is going to mean. You switch those up every single week. I just, I don't know. I played way too much football. This, to me, the, the way this narrative story took off, uh, it, it would be, what would be justifiable is if Jim Harbaugh in the university had figured out a way to pay off referees and get five to six calls a game. That is egregious. That is tipping the scale of competitive balance. Don't talk to me about looking at what other teams are signaling. I mean, that's a bear, that's a given to me in football. I, I, I'm with you that it is a very SEC uh, approach, right? And I'm, I'm a Southern guy uh, with Tennessee, big, big fan of the SEC. So it does feel like something that more likely would happen at a big-time SEC program than at Michigan. I will say, though, David, and I've stated this many times, once this story went down, I said, hey, great, you know, playing to, to win, uh, it worked. Won a national title, and I don't believe in vacating it. We saw it. Michigan's a national champion. They won it. But Michigan people do have to sacrifice the old phrase, Michigan man, as being mm. something that has honor behind it moving forward. A Michigan man is someone who's going to do whatever it takes to win. And they did, and they won the national title doing it. I don't want to hear about any other, some higher status or calling because someone's a quote, quote unquote, Michigan man. As a Michigan That's man, what, what is your response to that? That's a very good point. And the second this broke, my co-host who sits to my right, usually Jake Crane, said Michigan wouldn't be going through this if they didn't have a holier-than-thou approach when it came when it comes to the concept of a Michigan man and that sort of stuff. I completely understand what you're saying. Again, that would get back to, okay, what is the rule? Who broke it and who knew about it? I mean, if, if Jim Harbaugh didn't know that a violation was occurring, then it's hard to give him a charge of saying, well, you know, you're no longer a Michigan man. I don't know. The whole thing is just, it got very convoluted. I don't know who, what, who knew what and when they knew it. I think maybe you had a guy who thought he found a loophole and exploited it when in reality what probably happened was, you know, he thought he found a loophole, but he stepped over that line in Connor Stallions. I'm glad we can laugh about it now. And honestly, I was pretty upset with the NCAA and, and ESPN throughout mo most of the season because these stories always break in the middle of our sport. And I love college football. I love college football more than I love Michigan football. I'm from the South as well. I'm from South Georgia. I had no intentions of going a thousand miles away from home. Michigan gave me an opportunity to play there. So I took advantage of that. I'm grateful for that. I'm honored to be involved in the brotherhood. But if they did something that was so egregious to tip the scales of competitive balance, or like you said, to really tarnish what I see as the Michigan man phrasing, then I'd be the first to call them out. When Michigan basketball coach Jawan Howard slapped another coach in Wisconsin, I said, this is a fireable offense. I think you should probably 
probably move on from this guy. The athletic director Ward Manuel decided not to do that. Uh, and look, I've been consistent on this throughout. Like Cam Newton, the NCAA knew Cam Newton supposedly got paid at Auburn in the offseason. But when does the story break? Well, the week that they played Georgia, okay? Well, the NCAA supposedly knew about all of this sign-stealing allegations in the offseason. When does the story break? The day before Michigan plays Michigan State. I think the NCAA has lost their grip on college football, and they want to try and tarnish it where they can, which is sad to see because uh, it's still my favorite sport. Michigan man, former Wolverine quarterback, Coastal Crane Company, David Cohn, our guest on Hot My Without and Withrow. Uh, we've said, uh, screw the NCAA investigation. We're waiting on the results of the Central Michigan investigation on who that was <laughs> on the sideline. We have still not heard, based on their uh, attempt to look in and, and dive into who knew who this person was and how they got a pass. If somehow we don't know, uh, according to the university yet, we have not seen the re official release on this, uh, this intel, who this was on the sideline. How is that possible, guys? <laughs> How is it possible that 12 hours after that photo leaked, we don't know who this is or someone won't tell us? I don't know. I will say I was surprised yesterday when NCAA President Charlie Baker came out and said that he stands by his decision to inform the Big Ten of these allegations in the middle of the season, and he thinks that it legitimizes Michigan's national championship even more. Uh, so it was a it was a tough day yesterday for the asterisk vacate crowd for sure. Yeah, no no doubt about it. By the way, I'm just getting word that College Game Day has won now seven more fake Emmys <laughs> based on their coverage of Connor Stallions and, and Michigan. Yeah. So ESPN PR yeah. department's going to make sure they get Not all those so Emmys fast, to them. Not so fast, my friend. Not so <laughs> yes. fast, my friend. It'll be ten before we get off here. And at this point, the news of Nick Saban retiring broke yesterday yeah. when I was live on Memphis radio with our friends over at Sports 56, and I couldn't hardly believe. Them. So at this point, whatever you interrupt me with for breaking news, I'm going to believe whatever you tell me. <laughs> yeah. Lee Clark won it, not uh, not Lee Corso, actually. <laughs> that, that, that was a correction that was made. I met Lee Clark's father this summer at SEC Media Days. Great guy. Nice, nice. T terrific dude. So here's my question, David, on, on Jim Harbaugh. Okay, if this was it for him at Michigan and he goes back to the NFL at this point, what ultimately is his legacy at Michigan? And let's just throw this hypothetical out there because – all three of us are in agreement that it doesn't matter if the NCAA comes back and tries to vacate something or say it didn't happen. It happened. We all watched it happen. They're the national champions. But let's say some sort of penalty, scholarship reduction, something happens that hinders Michigan in some way in the future. Maybe they have a couple of down seasons because of NCAA problems down the road. What does that do for Jim Harbaugh's legacy at Michigan, if anything? I don't think it taints it at all. You know, you talk, guys talked about Pete Carroll also uh, moving on from the Seahawks yesterday. This phrase, moving on, is so funny because it's like they've accomplished too much to be fired, essentially, but uh, they still wanted to coach there. I, I watched Pete Carroll coach at USC. That Rose Bowl jersey behind me was when I got to play in the Rose Bowl against the Silver Fox. I know that he left under terms that, you know, there was some, some vacated wins and Reggie Bush got his Heisman Trophy taken away. Look, watching USC in the mid-2000s was some of the greatest football I've ever seen. I don't know exactly what went down. As far as I'm concerned, they won that national championship and Reggie Bush should have his Heisman Trophy uh, back. Now, for Michigan, obviously, this is, the, this is the greatest season in the history of Michigan football, the greatest season in the history of the winningest program in the sport. Of course, you don't want it to be tainted in any fashion. I think Charlie Baker's comments yesterday um, will at least at least we shouldn't be expecting any vacated wins. If there's a scholarship reduction, I understand that. But I think that, you know, it took so much to get here. Michigan went through so many bad times. Rich Rodriguez came in when I was a junior. We won 20 games my first two years under, under Coach Lloyd Carr. You know, Rich Rodriguez comes in. Michigan didn't think they could fall that bad. That, that's really what happened. Michigan didn't think there was a floor to the program, and they got proven wrong. And then uh, Brady Hoke, who I have a lot of respect for, he recruited me at Ball State. He came in, won the Sugar Bowl in his first year. But ultimately, when Jim Harbaugh got the job, it was, hey, this is the golden son. This is the guy who led Stanford to 12-win seasons. This is the guy who revitalized a 49ers franchise who'd been in the dumps since Steve Young retired in the mid-'90s. This is our guy. He played quarterback for Bo Schimbeckler. And then to lose, was six or seven straight to Urban Meyer to not win the conference, to not make the college football playoff. It was disheartening. And in 2020, when he pointed the finger at himself and said, this hasn't been good enough, 
I haven't been good enough, but I will be, or we're going to die trying. Since then, he went 40 and three, and to culminate it with a national championship, even if they lost Monday, and he and, and he went 39 and four with three, three straight wins over Ohio, three straight conference championships, three straight college football playoff appearances, but didn't win the Natty. I still think Michigan fans would have said, you know what? Thanks for bringing us back to this point. We'll help you pack up. You know, go to the NFL if that's what you so desire. But to cap it off with the national championship, 15 and 0, greatest season in the history of Michigan football. We hope that it's not tainted in any capacity, but for Michigan fans, it certainly won't be. And hey, we'll, we'll help him move at this point for accomplishing something this great in a time when I didn't know if it was attainable, guys. The Southeastern Conference has been such a dominant force in our sport for the last decade. The Buckeyes have been such a dominant force in our own conference and the gold standard for over a decade. I I didn't know if this was attainable. The fact that he brought it home and that group in the in Schimbeckler Hall stayed so together throughout all of it, throughout the suspensions and everything, it just speaks to how great they are, and it's the greatest team in the history of the program. If Harbaugh ends up uh, moving on to the NFL, Michigan fans, do they want Sharon Moore? Do they want to look outside? Is it is it a foregone conclusion that Moore's the next guy to step in? It's not a foregone conclusion, but you have to look there first. And Michigan has done a great job, other than that time with Rich Rodriguez, of hiring Michigan guys. That's why you heard the fact that Les Miles was going to leave when Lloyd Carr retired. Just so happens he was taking LSU to a national championship that year, and the timing sort of got in the way. Brady Hoke, another guy who was a Michigan guy, Jim Harbaugh, a Michigan guy. Now, one thing with Sharon Moore, who I believe played at Oklahoma, there's always this thought that if you played somewhere else, that's your alma mater, and maybe you would leave. For, for that job at some point. But the thing with Michigan to me is it should always be someone's last job, especially at the collegiate level. Jim Harbaugh is a unique specimen that he's been successful at both levels, which is certainly unique. So I understand if he wants to return to the NFL and get one of those Super Bowl rings that his brother John has, I completely understand that's a unique situation. But for guys who want to coach in college, there's no you don't leave Michigan to go coach LSU the way that we saw Brian Brian Kelly do. You don't leave Michigan to go coach, say, the University of Florida. That should be your last job. Um, with how much uncertainty we're headed to in our sport right now, an expanded playoff, a reduction in conferences. The Pac-12 conference lasted over 100 years. Now it's, it's, it's history. Um, you know, the transfer portal, name, image, and likeness. It would be nice to have some cohesion. It would be nice to have some consistency on what Jim Harbaugh has put together and what he's built. I think it makes sense then you hire the guy who's already 1-0 against the Buckeyes and who won six games as a head coach this year. Keep that cohesion. Keep everything moving forward. Uh, if Jim Harbaugh moves to the NFL, he'll undoubtedly take Jesse Minter with him as his DC, which will be a tremendous loss. I think the defensive unit this year was the best in college football and, and maybe even since, uh, you know, one of the best we've seen along with that Georgia 21 team. But Sharon Moore should certainly get the nod. And maybe just thinking about it uh, out loud, the, the emotion that Moore showed postgame after the first win against uh, the three-pack at the end of the season against Penn State had to do with Harbaugh literally setting him up to get this job if he mm -hmm. finishes out strong as, you know, the guy that's stepping in on game day. I mean, Moore's been the face on the sideline for those three games. And he's set up now based on the timing, to be the guy that Harbaugh would self-appoint, which is basically what he did. Yeah, and you mentioned Brian I'm, Kelly in that yeah, also. Mm -hmm. Reports out there that Brian Kelly, talking about Michigan being your last job, might want to leave LSU for Michigan uh, if that job comes open. What, what do you think about that name for the Michigan job? That's very, very telling. Again, I think that I would be willing to take a flyer on Sharon Moore with no head coaching experience based off what he did this year, based off the cohesion of the team that just won the championship. And look, I think JJ McCarthy needs to come back. I don't think he, I don't think he's first, second, or third round material just yet. Now he's going to wow people at pro day the way Zach Wilson did when he threw, and he's going to wow NFL execs in the room. There are throws that he misses right now that have to be automatics at the next level. So I think if he came back, and put on some weight, uh, he would benefit greatly and, and work on his accuracy. 
However, I will not fault the guy if he says, I just won a national championship at Michigan. I'm 27 and one, one of the winningest quarterbacks of all time. I'm going to go to the NFL. I'll try my hand in the third round, maybe go to a great team. Even a situation that Stetson Bennett found himself in getting drafted by the Rams. That could be a very good situation for J.J. McCarthy. If he does come back, though, I, I would I would take Sharon Moore and keep this group together like we've seen rather than bring in Brian Kelly, who was the winningest coach in Notre Dame history, but then jump to LSU, but now wants to jump to Michigan. The very fact that those rumors started swirling, and again, I've already said Les Miles, when he was the coach at LSU, wanted to come and coach at Michigan. It's very telling because LSU is another blue blood program who has a better recruiting state for high school football. They can put a gate around Baton Rouge and get all the talent they would ever want. The fact those guys would even come up to the Midwest in the snow to be a part of Michigan tells you how special that program is. I want to say one thing on Sharon Moore's emotion after the yeah. Penn State game. It didn't surprise me at all because, I mean, think about it. Jim Harbaugh got suspended 12 hours before on the plane to Happy Valley. That was one of the biggest wins in Michigan's history because uh, the narrative was these guys are cheaters. They've been stealing the signs. They're finally, they hadn't played anyone all season. They're going to go on the road and play a top 10 team and they're going to play a top five defense. Now let's really see what's going on. And then your head coach gets suspended 12 hours before. That was, that was an unbelievable win and they didn't throw a pass in the second half. So when Sharon Moore showed that level of emotion, I love to see it. I was expecting nothing less. I was surprised to see the national media sort of poke fun at him and say, well, Jim Harbaugh isn't dead. This is silly that you got this emotional about it. How did you guys feel about that? I, I thought I, I thought it was a little over the top, just outside looking in, because it, it, mm -hmm. I mean, it, it looked like Jim Harbaugh was dead, not back at a hotel, yeah. somewhere watching the game with his response. But <laughs> I'm also not in the locker room, and, and I'm not privy to conversations you were talking mm -hmm. about, David, about how that all went down. But I, I, I found it to be over the top. I, I've said, I thought that the reaction by the players and what they did with all the distraction and, and talk behind the scenes, like my view of the players is different than what went on with the story. Um, mm -hmm. I, I thought it was great. I, I also thought that Harbaugh played this the same way Kirby Smart played up some of the, back, the background talk in the championship years. If you guys ne you didn't predict this, you thought we were going to lose a bunch of games. No one was picking Georgia to lose, right? But the locker room believed that, that they were the underdog. Yeah, they're seven and five. Yeah. Georgia's going seven Georgia's and five. Georgia's seven every and five. Year. And look at, look at us now. <laughs> and, uh, I, I, you know, listening to Harbaugh after that is like, hey, we're, this is America's team. Like, I, I believe everyone in Ann Arbor believed that. And I thought the emotion yeah. was geared towards that. Yeah, no doubt. And look, after I watched The Last Dance and I saw Michael Jordan would literally make up drama and make up conversation so that he could go out and force himself to score 50 on another guy, things the other player never even said and Michael Jordan couldn't admit for like 20 years later, nothing would surprise me for these high-level coaches and athletes to be able to put that chip on their shoulder and say, hey, we got to go get our guys galvanized this week. I took that personally. Yeah, in, in the uh, words of Michael Michigan Jordan. definitely took it personally That's also. Right. <laughs> David, thank you so much, man. It's always great to, uh, to catch up. Thanks for the time and perspective. Thank you guys for having me. Crane and Company. David Thanks, David. Collins. Chad, it is time for one big thing on every NFL game. Are you ready? I am always ready. Born ready for this segment, Hutton. One of my favorites. 272 games in the books. Only 13 more left, including Super Bowl 58 in Las Vegas, February the, the 11th. Start on Saturday. Start tomorrow. Browns and Texans. C.J. Stroud, he's thrown for 4,108 yards, 23-8 to eight touchdown to interception ratio. His ability to stay calm under heavy pressure, that's led to success. He will face heavy pressure on Saturday from the NFL's best defense and Miles Garrett. Stroud didn't play when these teams met up two or three weeks ago now, and the Browns won that game 36-22. Moving on to uh, Saturday night, Dolphins on the road in Kansas City. The Chiefs hosting Miami, brutal, cold temperatures could be problematic. Tua Tungavaloa, in games played when the temperature is under 45 degrees, he's 0-4, completed just 55% of his passes in those four games. Four touchdowns, five interceptions. And will rest help Travis Kelsey and help him heal, heal up? He has failed to reach 1,000 yards receiving for the first time in seven years, Chad. Crazy to think about that offense he's and not the retiring. struggles this year. But also, Tua in cold weather, stat you just threw out there, Hutton, very revealing. That's why I'm loading up on the Chiefs this Miami weekend. Miami can run it, though. Uh, loading most yards up per carry. on the Chiefs this weekend. Most yards per carry in the NFL this season, minimum at least 100 carries. A-chan, 7.8 yards per carry. 
beat out Lamar Jackson, Christian McCaffrey, and others. Don't make me second-guess my, okay. my bet, huh? Don't make me second-guess it. Uh, we go to Buffalo, another cold game hosting Pittsburgh. Two teams that fired their offensive coordinators this season. Now try to get offense going with snow in the forecast. Buffalo's winning as of late, even though their style points are not great. They are surging when it matters most, and they have wins over Kansas City, Dallas, and Miami. Three playoff teams with a combined record of 34-17. and 17. Now they get Pittsburgh, who has a winning record, but again, they're coming in hobbled, that quarterback and more. Uh, we go to Dallas. Dallas hosting Green Bay on Sunday. General Manager Brian Gutenkist, he envisioned Jordan Love and his receivers growing together over the course of the season, and that is exactly what's happened. The Packers, they've won seven of their last ten games. Green Bay went 3-3 three and three against playoff-bound teams, but they did have wins over the Chiefs and the Lions in those three games. Rams and Lions coming up on a, a big this matchup is, this Sunday This is night. the one to me. This is the one I'm most anticipating, atmosphere-wise. have not won a playoff game since January 5th, 1992. 32 years and nine days later, they have their shot to win it here against Matthew Stafford, who they traded away. He goes on to win the Lombardi Trophy with McVay. And here we are with Goff against Stafford for the right to move on in the postseason. Uh, credit to the Rams. They were not supposed to be that good this year. They have they said F them picks, right? Yeah. Third round below. They've One year down it. and right back in the playoffs the next year. Monday, Tampa Bay hosting Philadelphia. The reigning NFC champions have mostly the same personnel for the most part that won and got to last year's NFC championship game and then went on to the Super Bowl. They started the season 10-1. and one. They've lost five of the last six, and their defense has allowed an average of 30 points in the last six weeks. They have losses to the Cardinals and Giants. Tampa Bay, the only team in the NFC that's made the playoffs each of the past four seasons. Chad, that's one big thing on every NFL game. One of my favorite segments, Hutton. Here's what I can guarantee about this upcoming weekend. We're going to have a hell of a time. It's one of my favorite weekends of the year. Super wild card weekend. Not just wild card anymore. Super wild card weekend. I cannot wait. Lions-Rams Sunday night is the game to watch. And Kansas City-Miami on Peacock, a front office, a front office sports Harris poll showed that a majority of potential viewers are okay with Peacock or any other streamer getting a game like Chiefs and Dolphins. About three and five, 61% of NFL fans, two and five, 45% of U.S. adults said they would likely pay for a subscription to a streaming service to watch an NFL playoff game, according to this survey. If the NFL were to take things further and have a postseason matchup pay-per-view event, 57% of NFL fans, 42% of adults across the United States wow. surveyed, said wow. they would likely pay a one-time fee to watch an NFL playoff game. Get ready, because this is where we are headed. This is where the college football playoff is headed as well. We're, uh, maybe, maybe they're wrong. We'll find out, though, because we will hear about the results of this. Kalen DeBoer's first weekend on the job also. We'll follow that news. Yes. <laughs> because there's going to be news with current players in the roster and recruits. Back on Monday for Hot Mike with Hunter Withrow right here at Outkick.com. Great weekend, everyone. Have one, please. Thank you.